Our preacher this morning is Thomas Anderson. He's a good friend of mine. He's been a, a pastor in the area for a few years, and uh, I've gotten to know him through church planting and then other avenues, and now we're in a preaching cohort together, and I've gotten to know his family, Cy, and his three beautiful daughters. And uh, Thomas, uh, it is just always an encouragement whenever I see you. Uh, Thomas cares about the person. Uh, he cares about the heart, the life, the, the reality of where a person is at. So whenever I see him, he says, how are you doing? And he really means it. And then I'll tell him how I'm doing, and then he'll often say, can I pray for you in that? Either a praise or support, and it's just a, a great joy this morning. Uh, Thomas serves as uh, the pastor of men and young adults at Grace Community Church, and it is just a great privilege to have you preaching the word uh, for us this morning, so thanks so much. Let's clap Thomas up as he comes. To have a podium that just like, I don't know, one day. <laughs> well, good morning, well, Community Church. It is a joy uh, to be with you this morning. I'm happy to be here. Uh, this is something that I've uh, had marked on my calendar the moment uh, Matt uh, offered me uh, the opportunity. Um, so I'm just grateful. Thank you. Um, go ahead and meet me in John chapter 13, verse 1. While you're headed there, I just want to say something. Uh, I, I think you already know this. Uh, you guys are blessed. Here's the reason why. Not because of all the money that's coming in. Let's praise God for that. Man, we, and we need money. Um, but you are blessed because you have one another. You are a unique group in a unique area of people who have committed to uh, make sure that this area is saturated with the gospel and you've been able to do it together as a community. Uh, but you're also blessed because you have pastors that love you, that deeply love God, and have a strong burden and passion to see this area come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And so as you see your pastors, uh, as you think about them, please encourage them. They carry a heavy burden. Think about ways that you can encourage them, love on them. I grew up in an old Baptist church where, where the, the senior saints would walk up and put a peppermint in your hand and say, thank you for the word, or they'd just put a crumbled up dollar bill in your hand. I'm not saying you got to do that today. We got Cash App. I don't know. But, uh, but, but please, find ways to love on your pastor, particularly in this, in this season. Well, for me, uh, I've been in ministry in some form or fashion uh, for the past 20 years. That sounds strange to say, actually. Uh, but I have, and one of my favorite things to do in pastoral ministry is uh, uh, membership interviews, right? So membership interviews are, uh, uh, I'm pretty sure you guys are very familiar with them. They're just opportunities to hear people who desire to be a member of the church and hear their story, hear, 
hear how God has worked in their life and make sure they have an understanding of the gospel. Well, in this particular interview, I was meeting with a young lady who was sharing her story. And she gets to a place in her story uh, where she begins to share something uh, uh, pretty profound that I will never forget. Uh, She says, you know, I never doubted God's love until I became a Christian. I was like, wow. Well, what she was trying to get at was that if someone were to come to her and ask her, do you believe God loves you? She would say, yeah, of course. How could, he, how could he not? He wouldn't be God. Well, later in her conversion story, uh, she came to a saving knowledge of Jesus. She not only brought her faith into this relationship with God, but she also brought some preconceived ideas of what that relationship should look like. Uh, She brought in these ideas that uh, because she's now in a relationship with God, there should be no more suffering and no more pain. Well, soon reality set in and all of those expectations just flipped. Immediately, she lost her unborn child. Soon after, she lost her job. And then later, she was diagnosed with cancer. You see, she did what probably most of us would have done in that season. She began to doubt God's love. Because for her, God's love equaled God always taking care of what she believed was her needs. Well, church, what about you? Today? Right now? Are you struggling to believe that God loves you. In the midst of the suffering and the pain that we're all experiencing over the past year, is it really hard for you to believe that God loves you? For some of you who are caught in the thick of your sin, is it hard for you to imagine that God could possibly love you? Well, church, I want to encourage you today with three beautiful realities. First, I want you to know that God loves you. I want you to know that he loves you and he loves you to the end. And he loves you by manifesting his glory to you through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let me point you to the words found in John 13, 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Hmm. So what does John mean when he says hour? The hour had come. Well, particularly in John's gospel, the hour represents a particular moment. It represents the purpose by which Jesus has come to this earth, which is to manifest the glory of God in his death and in his resurrection. In other words, to provide a special revelation of who God is. See, John refers to this moment as the hour, a set time that Jesus is always moving towards in John's gospel. 
We see this in part at the wedding feast in Cana. Go ahead and turn over there, John chapter 2, just uh, about, a, about eight or nine chapters back in John chapter 2. And I'll just go ahead and read it. John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no more wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Interesting, right? <laughs> I can't even begin to imagine all of the cultural connotations that would happen if I spoke to my mom like that today. <laughs> Set that aside for a moment. If you're reading this and it feels like Jesus and his mom are having two different conversations, it's because they are. Uh, uh, John wants us to see uh, that these two people are having two different agendas. You see, Mary is concerned with the immediate and focused on preventing the groom from being shamed. During this time, uh, to, to run out of a wine would have been a disaster. It would, it would be like having uh, an event and there's no Wi-Fi. <laughs> Everybody walking up to you, can I get the code? Can I get the code? Can I get the code? I'm sorry, I don't, we don't have it. Uh. Right. So Mary is trying to prevent shame from being dumped on the groom in this moment. That's her agenda. That's her focus. Mary's Mary. She's a mom. She wants to care for everybody. Well, Jesus has a totally different agenda. Uh, Jesus is at this moment concerned and always will be centered on the will of the Father, the one who sent him to carry out a particular purpose at a particular time. We start to see that a little bit more as we read on verse 6. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rite of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. So these jars, these large purification jars, were just another cultural norm during this time. These were giant stone jars. Now, if you would go to this town, they would sell you ceramic jars. But uh, that, that, that would have made these, if they were made it in ceramic, it would have still made those jars unclean. It had to be stone because stone made the jars clean. And then you pour the water in. And before you go into a feast uh, to eat, uh, you would wash your hands, your feet, and your face to make sure you were clean. And the problem with these jars, these giant jars that would probably add up to about 180 gallons, is just like anything. When you go in, you wash your hands, you, you, you get the soap, you, you get the, uh, the sanitizer. I mean, man, I can't think of a, a time in history where people have washed their hands more which is kind of scary because what were you doing before? Uh, uh, but uh, you would wash your hands. And we all know that once you wash your hands, an hour later, your hands would be unclean again. So this was just a temporary thing to make you clean. And Jesus tells them, fill it to the brim. Uh, verse 8, and he said to them, now draw some out, take it to the master of the feast, 
So that they, so they took it when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the wine, drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom, said to him, everyone who serves the good wine first, everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. Watch this, verse 11. This, the first sign Jesus did in Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory. And the disciples believed in him. <laughs> what sign, <laughs> what glory is John, could John possibly be talking about? He already, Jesus already told him, my hour had not come. Well, see, back in Amos 9, Amos prophesies of a time where uh, in, in the new earth, in the in uh, uh, new heavens, there will be we will be overflowing with new wine. And so this is pointing to a sign, but not just a sign of, of good and new wine. This sign is pointing to something bigger. You see, even though it's not Jesus' time to fully manifest the glory of God, uh, it is the beginning of his ministry, and he kicks off his ministry by just stomping all over religious rituals. He's communicating to them that the, the, the purification ritual that you have that's cleaning the outside is not enough. You need something greater. This sign is not just pointing to something good and something aged and something mature. It's pointing to something greater that will not only clean your outside, but will clean your conscience. It is pointing to the precious blood of Jesus. Jesus is turning water to wine as a sign that he is the sacrificial atonement that will not only, uh, that, that isn't just concerned with cleaning your outside, but will also cleanse your conscience, that will clean your sin. You see this uh, uh, over and over again in the Bible. Um, like Adam and Eve, remember Adam and Eve? When they send, what's the first thing that they do? They go and make these little tiny fig leaves. <laughs> and they try to cover themselves. And it's just not enough. And so what does God do? He goes and sacrifices an, an animal and he covers them, pointing that something greater is coming. Well, church, isn't that what we've been doing Many times in our lives, <laughs> we try to figure it out ourselves. We try to cover ourselves. We try to fix it ourselves. Well, I just want to let you know something greater is here. Something more precious, something more permanent, something more glorious is here. The sign that Jesus is the sacrificial atonement for our sins has arrived at this wedding by Jesus turning water to wine, and it is glorious because Jesus has revealed himself in a way that surprisingly, who only notices? It says the disciples notice. And when the disciples see the glory of God, what happens? They believe. You see, God uh, is manifesting his glory 
and the Son through his death and resurrection so that we would see and believe. And church, this is love. Y'all can say amen. It's okay. Unless you don't want to. I don't want to make you. I'm saying amen. This is love. We see this uh, over and over again in the New Testament. And not only is Jesus uh, 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 the manifestation of God's glory, and not only does God show his love by displaying his glory, he does that to his own. So every time God says, I love you, it is him displaying his glory in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Let me show you if you don't believe. Y'all, y'all seem like y'all don't believe me. All right, go to John 3.16, right? John 3.16. Jesus demonstrates his love by manifesting his glory to his own. Uh, John 3.16. It's a passage that we're all familiar with, right? We've all memorized this verse. Uh, it's one of the first verses that we memorize. But before this verse, something cool happens. Uh, John reminds us that uh, back in the Old Testament, Moses was told by God to hold up a snake. I know this sounds strange, but God told Moses to hold up a snake. And he tells the people of Israel, anyone who looks on this snake will be healed. Why would he do that? Why would John include that in this particular text right before John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Well, what is eternal life? Well, John 17, 3 in Jesus' high priestly prayer tells us, he says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So church, let's put it together. God loves us. By holding up Jesus, the radiance of his glory, the exact imprint of his nature, and whoever looks at him and believes will not perish, but will know the Father and know Jesus. Please don't miss this. Because I know what I'm about to say may be hard to hear, but I promise you it will be a balm to your soul, especially in the midst of of disappointment and suffering. The ultimate expression of God's love is not in just meeting your external needs. I'm preaching to myself right now. Trust me, all the bills showed up yesterday. The ultimate expression of God's love is not in him taking care of all of your external needs or even withholding pain from your life, but uh, it is inviting us to see his glory and believing that Jesus is the son of God and knowing and abiding in him. So I know this is hard to to, to take in. And for some, it won't set in because right now we're in a good season for some of us. So I know it won't take, uh, take root until later, but just, I just want you to remember this. This is highly important to the, 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 our growth as disciples of Jesus. 
Jesus is always thinking about something bigger. Don't get me wrong. The Father loves to give good gifts. The Father is the best gift giver of all time. He loves to give good gifts. But I am telling you 100%, the best gift that the Father has always, been, has always provided is his son Jesus. Is holding up his son Jesus, his perfect son, and helping us to see him in all of his glory and his death and resurrection so that we would believe and know and abide in him. Let me give you an example. A great example of this is Lazarus. You guys remember Lazarus? Maybe if you don't, go over John chapter 11. John chapter 11, we have the story of Lazarus, this real-life example. I'm going to read this to you real quick. John chapter 11, starting at verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the Uh, Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent him, saying, Lord, he who you love is ill. Verse 4, but Jesus heard it, but Jesus heard it. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 5, here it is. And I want you to underline this. If you have a tablet, highlight it. I don't know, do something. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So what did Jesus do? Because he loved them, he made a beeline to Lazarus to heal him, right? No. Verse 6, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. What? Jesus loved Lazarus, so he stayed. (laughs) He not only stayed, he stayed till he absolutely 100% knew Lazarus was dead. What? How is that love? Put yourself in this position. Are you okay with this? I'm not. I'm not okay with this verse. Because this verse messes up all my theology. Matter of fact, it, it doesn't sit right with Mary and Martha. Two times they come to him later. Jesus, if you were here, he wouldn't have died. Have you ever said that? Have you ever said, Jesus, if you just showed up, so-and-so wouldn't have died? If you just showed up, Maybe I wouldn't have lost my job if you just showed up. Maybe I would have gotten pregnant. Church, I want you to know that there is purpose in the pain here. Jesus tells us very clearly, verse 4, he tells us, 
the purpose is for my glory so that you will see. Verse 4, he makes it very clear, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. God has purpose in our pain. Our pain is not some cosmic joke to God. He deeply loves us. And he cares more about us being able to see his glory than anything else. Why? Because if we see it, we will believe. And if we believe, we'll have eternal life. And if we have eternal life, then we get to abide and be with him for eternity. He not only has purpose, the purpose is not only that we see his glory, but we believe. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Verse 27, she said, yeah. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is the coming into the world. Jesus wants us to see the glory of God because God, because he loves us and uh, sometimes he does that through our, our pain and in our suffering and he is letting Mary know uh, that not only will Lazarus uh, come and resurrect in the, in, the, in the new life to come, not only is he going to resurrect in this particular moment here on earth, but Jesus is letting Mary and Martha know that he is the resurrection and the life. He says, I am. He's disclosing himself to Mary. He's revealing who he is in all of his divinity, all of his splendor, all of his glory. He is revealing it to Mary. He's revealing it to us every time we come together to worship and lift up the name of God and pray and sing. God is revealing himself in all of his glory because he loves us. Not because of some Sunday ritual, It's because he loves us. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you? (laughs) It sounds like Jesus would say, did I not tell you, Mary and Martha? Did I not tell you? I feel like that's discipleship. (laughs) Starting with those words over and over again. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Hmm. Jesus loves his own by manifesting his glory in his death and in his resurrection. And Jesus loves us to the end. So we started in chapter 13. We'll finish in chapter 13. Uh, There's this moment in Jesus' ministry where he is coming to the end. And you would imagine that Uh, If the disciples, uh, if he's coming to the end, uh, the disciples should be serving him. But here we are, chapter 13, uh, Jesus is serving the disciples. It has come to the end of his ministry and Jesus decides to wash his disciples' feet. Then he gets to Peter. 
Oh, Peter. <laughs> Peter says, Lord, you can't wash me. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> we know how this goes. You're the master. I'm this. Come on, what are you doing, Jesus? Jesus says to Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. <laughs> Starting to click for Peter, Peter says, well, wash all of me. Jesus says, no, you're already clean. Just need to wash your feet. Because Jesus wants to give us one lasting example of how we should love one another. You see, what Jesus is trying to communicate to Peter is not about justification, your position with God. That's been secure. He's trying to get across sanctification. Justification, Peter's secure. Judas, on the other hand, is a different story. Peter, on the other hand, is sanctification. What Jesus is trying to communicate to Peter, to everyone watching, to us reading, is that uh, uh, we live in a sinful world. And as we walk in this sinful world, our feet are going to get dirty. And as a church, we need to wash each other's feet. How? By holding up Jesus. By remembering who we are in Christ and what Jesus has accomplished in his death and resurrection. We take care of one another and we love one another by holding up the glory of Christ in his death and resurrection found in his word. So as I leave here today, how are you manifesting the glory of God to one another, church? It's abundantly clear God is going to do incredible things here. People are going to come from all different walks of life, from all different ethnicities, from all different socioeconomic backgrounds. They're coming. Y'all seen it. COVID did not stop it. People are still coming. We're trying to find a space for the people that God is about to bring. Now, how are you going to manifest the glory of God to those people? How are you going to love on one another in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your suffering? You're going to hold up Jesus in his word. And you're going to remind them of who they are in Christ and what Jesus has accomplished. How are you, brothers, going to help each other fight through pornography we're not going to hide it we're going to hold up jesus we're going to remember we're going to wash each other's feet we're going to serve each other remember who you are remember what jesus accomplished how are we going to reach the world we're going to hold up jesus hey look look who jesus is he is the son of god he died he resurrected he loves you. He loves you to the end. And we know that because he displayed his glory to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. We didn't deserve it. I think about all the places in the world that I will, all the all the amazing places in the world that I will never get to see, at least in person. 
But there's something so much greater. The thing about Moses is he said, Lord, show me your glory. And he was only able to just see a glimpse of his backside. But because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the veil has been torn. We get to behold Jesus in all of his glory. And one day we get to see him face to face. Praise God. So, Father, help us to continue to walk in this world and continue to manifest the glory of God and love to one another. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.